Hello. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. My name is Sarah Buino. And today we're going to be speaking with Candace Howarth, who is a health and wellness educator. And I just realized today I have been calling her nutritionist and clearly I am wrong. And she will describe later in the podcast how wrong I am. But Candace is a really, really special human. When I set out to do this podcast, I originally thought I would just be interviewing other therapists. And I started to think about expanding that vision because... There's so many people in my life that have been healers for me who aren't therapists and who do really interesting and and different things. And food is certainly one of the areas in my life which I have had a constant struggle. And so when I started working with Candace, I had I had an experience that was very, very different than than any other person that I'd worked with around food. And I think that you'll really enjoy hearing the way that she talks about how food is so nourishing. She's always using the word nourishing nourish and and healing. She just creates this sort of warm hug around you with her with her words and with her presence. So I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Candice. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited too. Yay. So why don't you start with introducing yourself and telling us who you are, what you do, all that fun jazz. Okay, sure. Well, my name is Candace Haworth, and I'm a certified nutrition consultant. I went to Bowman College of Holistic Nutrition in Berkeley, California. I finished the program in 2012 and have been doing this for about five or a little over five years. Recently, I moved back to Chicago in May. So I've been rebuilding my practice in a new city, which has been fascinating and challenging and a huge learning experience. And Yeah, I think that's a brief introduction. Yeah, that would be a good start. Cool. And I think how we met is kind of interesting because like usually the people in my life that end up being really important for my healing, I tend to meet them in kind of magical ways. Yeah. And it was Claire, right? You were finishing a session with Claire and I was coming in and you were like, Oh, I do this thing. The what is it? The whole the holistic women's network. Holistic women. Yeah, I want I want you to talk about that a little bit too. Sure. And I just remember you were like, yeah, the holistic women's network. And I'm like, no, I don't have time for anything. I can't. <laughs> I can't. But like, I was very drawn to your energy. Obvi- you know, obviously, and wanted to connect with you. But it's just like it was just so random that we met. I know. It was funny because Claire's a great connector. She really is. And she knows plenty of wonderful people. And then she's also who invited me to the open house at Head Heart Therapy. Oh, right. Which was really great. So yeah, I feel like through Claire, we're lucky to know each other. And I've been lucky enough to meet more members of your practice who I really enjoy. And when you responded with, um, no, I have no time for that. It was surprising to hear because you very rarely get a hard no Mm. from people, or at least, you know, people may mean no, but they say yes. I think it's very interesting, like really, truly fascinating for you to just answer no and know your boundaries and have that. And it was shocking, but also refreshing. Like people aren't that honest. And it was kind of cool. Thank you. 
I'm trying to think back of when that was, and it was probably over the summer. And I was literally working with this woman that I see for consultation and supervision. And she's like, you have to say no. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to, no, <laughs> yeah, no, you did it. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying no. I did. And I guess my fear often of saying no is that I'm going to miss out totally. on something amazing. And I mean, maybe I am missing out on the group, but like, I didn't miss out on having an amazing connection right. with you. you. And I still found time for each other. And that's been really fascinating. And I think we've realized that we share a lot of people that we care about now, like the more we get to know each other more our worlds are colliding a little bit. And yeah, it's been interesting to see it come together. It's pretty cool. I love it. Yay. Well, do you want to talk about the the Women's Network? Sure. When I was leaving San Francisco, I wanted to make sure that all the clients I was working with were still being cared for by someone out there. So a friend told me about the Holistic Women's Network that was started by a girl named Cassandra, who also went to Bowman College. And network is a strange word for me. You know, I used to think of like network or networking as, you know, like a four letter word, like a bad word. But I really would describe it more as a support group for like minded women. It's women who work in health and wellness with a holistic approach. And we meet to share our strengths and our struggles and owning and running small businesses. We collaborate with each other. We support each other. It's just, it's fascinating. And I think the work that we do being in a caring profession is taxing. You know, it's something that you put your heart and soul into and we're very passionate Mm -hmm. about it. But if you don't have a coworker or a colleague, it can feel kind of isolating. And also when you're on a client and you need advice or guidance or collaboration, we can get it through each other. And then in addition to our individual specific work, we have to know how to run businesses. We have to know an accountant, know about media, marketing, connecting, like finances, billing, pricing. So to have all of these women be able to come together and reflect on how you run your practice and what does and doesn't work and how you can help each other, support each other, partner, collaborate, it just feels great. And it's been interesting because it does eventually translate into some networking because of referrals. And Mm -hmm. with a holistic approach, as you know, it's not something you do alone. You don't ever work with a client, just you and the client. You know, there are certain areas where we need other resources. We need other practitioners to step in and lend a hand on this person's healing journey. Yeah, I love that. And I swear that there's something magical happening between women right now, because I created a network uh, like that for other practice owners, other group practice owners, because there's such like really specific issues that we have that nobody else can answer those questions. And it has been, I can't even tell you the joy in my soul that I have when I connect with these women and the resources that we've given each other and just the generosity and the openness and the compassion. I've never experienced love like this in my whole life. And it's true because I've never experienced love like that on this big of a scale from a group of women. That's never happened to me oh, before. Oh, I totally get it. Because it's not only is the connection and the support so great, but like, don't you leave those meetings just like lit up? Ugh. Like, I do. And ready to take anything on. Like, you just feel so connected yes. and inspired and like a new appreciation for the work that you get to do. Yes. I want to like shoot rainbows out of my ass when I leave. It's like, (laughs) I can't even. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So for the listeners, just so you know, I just got a tattoo of a unicorn and I'd really thought I wanted a tattoo of a unicorn, but I didn't want it to be cheesy. (laughs) And somehow this artist, Marcy Mundo, 
fucking knocked it out of the park and I have this badass unicorn on my back. So me and my badass tat are going to shoot rainbows out of our ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention we're going to cuss in this, but like, that's just how I roll. So I feel like we're talking about awesome stuff already, but we haven't even gotten anywhere. But I think about people who are healers in my experience, don't tend to choose their profession. I think their profession chooses them. So I'm really curious about your journey to being called to nutrition. Okay, it's a little bit long of a story, so I'll try to sum it up. I love Uh, it. When I first started college many, many years ago, I think in 2002 or three, I went into school with my major being nutrition, and I got close with one of my professors. And one day she was like, "Uh, just so you know, most nutritionists have a second job and a master's degree. And as I was in school, I was working two jobs, you know, I was already doing that. And I was like, I don't want to have to do this forever. And I definitely had dollar signs in my eyes. And I had this fantasy about being a businesswoman in downtown Chicago with like high heels on and a gorgeous long mm. coat and running through the streets of the city late to a <laughs> meeting and just like, you know, having a room full of money. I day. love that image. So I definitely... <laughs> Like, wait, like Scrooge McDuck style? like a room of money. Like you would dive in the coins? Everything. Yeah, I wanted this like fancy life. (laughs) And when she told me that, I I was like, all right, well, I'll just pick a different profession. And so nutrition Mm. is a science. So I switched to pharmacy. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a pharmacist. And I didn't even think about what it meant. I didn't think about prescribing drugs. I just thought, I don't want to stand in a drugstore all day. You know, but I didn't think about how I feel now that... you know, healing is about way more than just prescriptions. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was a strange transition. Then I was like, all right, I ended up changing my major about four or five times and doing school for hmm. five years full time, including over the summers. And I graduated with a degree in finance and graduated in 2008 when everything wow. didn't even get a job as a bank teller. And I was wow. interning at City Smith Barney in La Jolla, California with like, you know, wealthy people like I thought I was on the track to do that. And, you know, the economy and the time of my graduation just so happened to end up leading me back to this career. It was after a few years in Chicago of just feeling really lost and unsure of what I needed personally and professionally that I was like, oh, my God, it's still nutrition. So I actually took a class at the chopping block in Lincoln Square, (laughs) which is the best place. Yeah, Um, I took a class there with an RD, a registered dietitian, and I was like, tell me everything. Like, how did you? (laughs) This is it. This is absolutely it. So she sent me an ebook about like the top 20 people working in nutrition and how they Mm. got their start. So I read about all the different schools they attended, all the different programs. Mm. And I had never known anything about holistic health or healing when I found Bowman College of Holistic Nutrition. And it was such a new way of thinking for me. And I was instantly fascinated, booked a trip out to San Francisco and Berkeley to tour the school and see what it was all about and make sure it was legit and decided instantly I was moving there and going back to school. Wow. It came together seamlessly. I had a place to stay. I had a friend get me Mm. a job. I found a one bedroom apartment in San Francisco (laughs) within a week of being there, which doesn't happen to anyone because it's nuts out there. Wow. It came together perfectly. And I don't know. I feel like this is just what I will do and have to do and get to do forever. There's no not doing it. 
what I hear in that story is almost this like gut instinct that you're like, nutrition is the thing. And then your brain stepped in and was like, but you have to make money. And like, and this story that you told yourself, I, I love, I just love the image of you in a long coat and your high heels running to a meeting (laughs) downtown. And then your fancy, (laughs) but like, you know, I think I work with a lot of people who I find, you know, kind of have their head. And I say head specifically because it's your mind that's set on this goal, right? That I have to achieve X or I'm supposed to be in this career. Like Uh if I did the career I thought I was supposed to be in when I was younger, I would be a music teacher in my hometown and I would have been miserable. Right. Because that's not where my heart is. So it's not big enough for you. Right. Yeah. So I just love that like you came back to your gut and were like, no, that's that's it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, when I look back at like all the different things I studied or times I changed my mind, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's good that I didn't do the traditional path. Like I would have done a dietetics program and I would have had to have had an internship in a hospital and all these things that don't align with the way I practice now. And, you know, I have plenty of friends who are RDs and their work in education is fascinating and thorough, but this is just a different approach that I didn't even know existed years ago. Yeah. And maybe that's a good thing to talk about because I mean, I was just, I was thinking about our upcoming conversation and and Mm -hmm. I've worked with, and I, I can't even tell you what their titles were, but like I worked with the typical you know, at a hospital behind the desk, like this is one serving of, you know, chicken or whatever. And then I worked with this woman who was, uh, I thought she was exactly what I needed at the time, but our focus really was, you know, she was trying to help me cut calories. Mm -hmm. And then I come to work with you Mm -hmm. and you're like, bitch, you got to eat the fattiest meat. You got to drink whole milk. And I was like, what? Like, I know. know. (laughs) Can you describe kind of the difference between these professions? Yeah. So, well, one of the things that's very tricky is with a big giant school and a big giant program, where are they getting their funding? You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. some of these programs Mm -hmm. were getting funded by Coca-Cola and Nestle. (gasps) No, really? Yes. And so I was learning that those businesses could fund dietetics programs. Like it's like research. You look into research and you wonder, well, who funded that research? Because if if somebody's funding it with an interest, they're going to get the result they want or they aren't going to publish the study. Because isn't isn't that the thing about fat is like the sugar industry was behind. (gasps) It feels like a conspiracy theory, but it's true. And that's why nutrition is overwhelming and confusing because there's a lot of information, there's a lot of misinformation, and there's a lot of new information we're just discovering. And so with, I'm getting a little off track. Can you I, ask me I about love that? it though. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess talk about this forever, but like, I know. Yeah. I do describe to clients that the way I work is different than working with a nutritionist and RD. We talk about the whole body, not just one part. So that's kind of the difference with the holistic approach. So it's, body, mind, spirit, mental health, energy, feelings, emotions, like it isn't just, hey, my blood sugar is off, you know, my cholesterol is off, my weight is off. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people are overweight because they're overfed and undernourished, you know, like they're mm. turning to food and eating a ton, but they're not eating the right things. Their body can't get the true nutrition that they need, so they literally feel like they're starving. And when I hear overfed and undernourished, I I immediately think emotionally as well. 
Oh, totally. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, mm. all kinds of ways. And we do turn to food to answer many mm-hmm. of our problems. And I think a lot of people have a huge disconnect. You know, they turn to it for stress, for comfort, for, you know. I'm raising my hand over here. <laughs> right. Me too. Mm-hmm. I'm just as guilty of it. But we don't often make the connection that we can turn to it to heal, to nourish, yeah. to ourselves to strengthen ourselves to feel good and that's kind of what the what the shift is I think with the holistic approach so for example let's say you came to me with any number of issues I would talk to you about food what you're eating what you aren't eating what you could eat more of but I would let you know that like we aren't going to count calories we aren't going to measure portions you know I'm not going to show you a plastic yeah. <laughs> shape of chicken and how much space in your plate it should take up. Right. You know, that that isn't how we work. And I think a big reason for me in that is because it's not realistic. You know, it, it instantly turns off your connection to your body, what you eat and how you feel. You know, that's something that takes a long time to develop, the connection between what you eat mm-hmm. and how you feel. So understand the role that food plays in your body is huge and wild. But then to also understand like, Hey, I don't feel good after I eat that. Like mostly we think, oh my God, I'm so full. I have to unbutton my pants. You know, like that's like the main thing we associate with food. Like we don't think, I don't feel well. Like my heart is racing. I feel so tired after that meal. My bowel movements changed. Mm -hmm. Like I woke up with a headache. Like there's a lot of different feelings that come with food and we have to learn them. And if I told you like how you were told to reduce your calories, then all you're doing is eating packaged processed foods that have calorie counts on them. You right. you become a f- real foods. And I've worked with many clients like that who stop eating unpackaged foods like meat and produce because they don't know how to account for the Weight Watchers points or the calories or the grams of fat. And it just turns you into eating Franken foods only. It really <laughs> takes away real food. Franken foods. I love it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the experience yesterday, and I, I, I would say that it, it is a product of having worked with you. I started to like almost fall asleep in session yesterday. I hope my client isn't listening. But like I had this experience of like that feeling, that sleepy feeling, and recognizing I haven't felt this way in a really long time. I remember always feeling that way in the Mm -hmm. afternoon. And this was the first time in a really long time. And I knew it was because I I had had a lunch meeting and she Mm -hmm. brought in food and there were cookies. And of course Mm -hmm. I ate two cookies instead of one, you know, the giant, you know, serious cookies. They're delicious. Because they're delicious. And yeah. I, and after I ate the second one, I instantly regretted it. And then I got super sleepy. And I was like, this is exactly what Candace is talking about. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that food doesn't do anything for you. It makes you feel so good in the moment. It's a drug. It straight up is. We're yeah. addicted to it, to the sugar mm-hmm. and the flour, the powdery white substances that are in that cookie. But it feels so good while we're eating. And it's so hard to not eat it when it's there. Yep. But as soon as you're done Maybe you don't physically feel great. Maybe you feel a little guilty for doing it. You know, maybe you feel like fatigue and tired. Maybe you feel sickness or too full or uncomfortable in your gut. Like there's a lot of feelings that can come with it besides that instant like need, want, pleasure. That's so temporary. Yeah. <sighs> breathing like <laughs> breathing that cookie out of me right now. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's move to kind of the healing aspects of this, because I feel like you've said it without saying it. You know, 
And when I, when I originally was thinking about asking you to be on this, I thought, you know, it, it's kind of easy for a therapist to at least like cognitively put themselves into the healer category. But I wondered for you if that was something that was going to be easy to do. And so I don't know if you have thoughts about using the word healer in application to yourself and what that process is like for you. I think it is a great question. The word healer is new to me. It was not really in my vocabulary. It wasn't in my wheelhouse of practitioners I would turn to or seek out or use. I absolutely credit California and the crunchy ways of that wonderful state to exposing me to these things. Yeah. I was lucky enough in San Francisco to have as a client this wonderful spiritual woman. And the things I learned from her have kind of shifted my practice. And she connected me to another spiritual teacher. And these two women are fascinating and have extended a lot of their time and love and energy towards me and introducing me into a spiritual world. But also... To be very honest, it's still new to me. It's still foreign to me, and I don't fully grasp it. I Mm. think some of that is that I think a little bit more logically. It sounds really out there to me, and it feels like, well, I don't know enough about that. Like, I, I I don't get it a lot of the times. And so when they've used the word healer to apply to the work that I do or the, you know, the role that I play in their lives or a client's life, You know, I I hear it, but Mm -hmm. I also feel a disconnect because it feels like such a big word. And it Mm -hmm. feels, I think my association with the word healer was more like superpowers, you know, magical superpowers, somebody who put their hands on you with healing touch, Hmm. not necessarily massage, but like just touch you and you would be healed. Like it sounded so like Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not religious and I don't have much exposure to a spiritual practice or a spiritual world until recently. And it hasn't fully clicked for me yet. I'm still Mm. curious. I still am confused, though. And so I think when I think about my practice and healing, I think the work that I do can be healing. But I think I'm like a little small vessel to help my clients do that work on their own. You know, I don't Mm. do this magic for them. They do it. And even with clients where I work as a personal chef, you know, help them eat the foods they need to eat. They still have to make that choice every single day, every Mm -hmm. single time they eat. That's 20 something times a week. They have to choose to make the right choice. And that isn't an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, they might talk with me a couple times a month. So it's not like I'm by their side all day, every day making those decisions. It's something that each person has to do for themselves. And Mm -hmm. so until someone's ready to do that, there's no magic I can work on them. You know, it's very much their energy, their effort, their commitment that makes those changes happen. And I get to educate them and care for them and connect with them and support them and be patient with them. And that's kind of like the healing part of the work that I get to do. But I've been reading more about these terms, especially with this podcast coming up, Mm. because I still grapple with it a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I struggle with is it's just new. It's just new when Mm. it's foreign to me, you know, and I think I'm still learning a lot about it. But I definitely feel that food is healing. Our bodies can heal. We are resilient. Like what we eat every single day 
can feed or fight disease. Food mm-hmm. fuels every single cell in our body. And if I get to help somebody sort through some of the misinformation that's out there and eat a more nourishing diet, like that's me doing my job. And if yeah. it helps them heal, then that's them healing. So I think it does cross over. And I am comfortable using the word healing. Yeah. More comfortable with that than I am. You know, I would never describe myself to someone as, oh, yeah, I'm a healer. But I could say we do healing work together. Right. It's a tricky one for me. It's a little tricky. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's kind of funny because everything that you described is pretty much how I would describe the therapy process too, right. is that obviously the clients are the ones who have to do the work. Yeah. I'm, with, I'm, I'm yeah. with you an hour a week. Right. So yeah, I'm not the magic. But I guess what I've leaned into for myself is, you know, you mentioned like, I'm this tiny little vessel, but I guess I would question how how tiny you are, because I can at least tell you for me that your energy and the compassion and empathy that you show, that is so healing. And that quality that we possess to make people feel like they can tell us anything, that is that is what a healer does. And you have that. And I feel like that's not something that can be taught. That's something that we are, you know, that we were kind of born to do work like this to help people who are not feeling their best. You know, that's that's how I see you as a healer. Well, thank you. Those are super kind words that really, truly do mean a lot. I think with working with Savan, the spiritual teacher for the last almost year, I've definitely recognized that portion of it, that Mm -hmm. like I really connect to a lot of my clients and care about them in a very deep way. And I do understand that food is addictive and emotional and habitual and comforting and social and all of those things. And for someone to say like, just eat less or just don't eat that ice cream, like, no, that, that isn't okay. Like that's not helpful. You know, you need to displace the depleting foods with nourishing foods and Mm -hmm. slowly help people get there. And when people work with certain practitioners, I think they omit a lot of things. Yeah, you know, I think it's very easy to want to hide some bad behaviors because maybe we're ashamed about it. Yeah. And what, you know, in your profession and my profession, I feel like we really have to just be open and hear anything and everything and very accepting and patient. Mm-hmm. Because the only way to get better is to talk about things and to, you know, really be vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, kind of then moving towards the the wounded healer piece, you yeah. know, because obviously, you know, you don't have to call yourself a healer, but a wounded healing vessel, let's say. <laughs> How does that sit with you? So that was a totally new term. You know, I did have to Google that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, which is great. Like I'm learning a lot. So I'm happy about that. But, you know, one of the things that didn't sit with me was the the trauma. You know, I don't feel Mm. that I've experienced a lot of trauma. I feel like I have been more fortunate than most. And I feel incredibly lucky and grateful for all of my experience. Like I even said with the school programs, like, thank goodness, I changed my major a trillion times and ended up where I am. But I think I do have experiences with food Mm -hmm. and my relationship with food that could put me slightly in that category. You know, I I was a very picky eater. You know, Mm -hmm. my ideal diet was like Cheerios and skim milk. Like that was me thinking I was eating healthy. And now I know that that's cardboard and white water. It's worse than water. (laughs) 
you know? And yeah. I really, I didn't know any better. I used to wish I was one of those people who would reach for the vegetable tray at a party as opposed mm. to, I don't know, the chips. But like, I'm still not that person. I would mm-hmm. still never go take a slice of raw celery over some chips and salsa. Like, it's just not going to happen. And so I think I just had this view of, what a healthy eater had to be and it was so skewed Mm. and so impossible and so out of reach to me I wasn't exposed to healthy foods you know I wasn't what they could be I didn't know they could taste good I didn't know eating well could feel satisfying so I think those experiences I also have struggled with emotional eating and still do turn to food emotionally Mm -hmm. and it blows my mind that people don't I really am surprised that there are some people who've never had an emotional attachment to food like when people are like, oh, I wish I could just take a pill and get everything I need. I'm like, you don't want to eat? Right. Like, have you tried bread? <laughs> right. So it just blows my mind that some people don't have that connection because I really do. And I grew up that way. ingrained in my family and my friendships. And then so, you know, I really struggled with terrible acne growing up. And now I know that was food related. Wow. And so I mean, I any photo I would have found of myself for years of my life, I would rip up, you know, I would hide mm. from a camera, I would hide from mirrors and was incredibly self-conscious. And that's something that I still struggle with. And so I think, you know, after reading more about what a wounded healer is, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely ways I can connect in there and mm-hmm. feel something resonates. I think, you know, just like the word healer feels big to me, the word trauma feels big to me. Mm-hmm. And I forget that there's a scale, there's a spectrum, like it's oh, all relative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, not liking what you see when you look in the mirror is traumatic. Like that, that makes you feel terrible. That's all day, every day. And I felt that for years. And so with clients that I work with, like, I know plenty of people feel that way. And it's tough. I know it's a real struggle. And, you know, I love that you recognize that that is trauma, like not, not looking a certain way. I think that we're completely assaulted by the way that we're supposed to look in the media, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think I heard once that, you know, people who end up making it in Hollywood, like they have the top like 1% of, of like perfect bodies. Like they just, (laughs) they, they end up getting famous because they also happen to kind of fit in this category. And it's like, I still continually compare myself to what I think I'm supposed to look like. And that is trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really unsettling to every day when you get dressed, be like, this doesn't work. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave. You know, like, that's something we're assaulted with. You're right. Like, this is a very common thing that too many people deal with. I Mm -hmm. think it's fascinating. Are you seeing this too in your practice? The younger generation with this body positivity is just incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish I could have grown up with that. Yeah. Oh, that didn't exist for me. I know. I know. And I I think, too, about our generation. You know, in the 80s, I feel like our moms were all dieting. I mean, I've been told that the best thing to do as a parent is to treat yourself the way you want your kids to treat themselves because you can't tell a kid what to do if you're not doing it yourself. And I mean, I remember my mom constantly struggling with her weight and always being down on herself. And she had this sweatshirt. I'll never forget. It had a big bunny on it and it said, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. And just watching the way that she would 
restrict herself. I wouldn't say that she had an eating disorder. She certainly didn't fall in that, but she had disordered eating for sure. And she ended up dying at 62 of breast cancer. And yeah, and I mean, it's clearly not just like, oh, A plus B equals C, but I know that that's part of it. And she deprived herself not only with food, but in, in emotional ways as well. And it's all connected. So thank God you're doing, you know, the work to to put all those pieces together for people. Yeah, it's a lot. Food's a lot. You know, it, it mm-hmm. comes to your self-worth, how you care for yourself. Like, you know, it's just crazy how connected it is. Yeah. And it's just kind of funny, too, how you know, we're kind of just re-waking up to this idea because, you know, obviously Eastern medicine has been been doing it all along and us I Westerners. Know. <laughs> I know. Like, oh, now, oh, this mind-body thing, it's so new. Ooh, Ugh. mindfulness. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> I know. This old, beautiful, traditional mm-hmm. wisdom. Like, we are so hungry for it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Well, how about anything that your clients might be surprised to know about you? Well, this is a little tricky because I know one of the things you and I have talked about talking about here is, you know, how much we share with our clients. Mm -hmm. And I definitely do keep plenty of things personal. You know, there's some stuff I'm an open book on, Mm -hmm. but some of it's personal. So I don't know what they'd find surprising about me. I think... One of the things when it's food related is that I didn't, not only did I not grow up healthy eating, but Mm -hmm. I had a one bedroom apartment in San Diego for years without owning salt and pepper shakers because I straight (laughs) up did not cook. Wow. Like I had a girlfriend, Sarah, come visit me and I think I was out at work and she sent me a text and she's like, Hey, where's your salt and pepper shakers? (laughs) I was like, Oh, I don't have any. (laughs) <laughs> and there was a great organic little food co-op oh. a block behind my house called People's in Ocean Beach, San Diego. And I would only go there for like wine or cheese or chocolate. Like I didn't buy real food there. I didn't eat wow. real food in those days. And so, I mean, my idea of cooking was putting bagel bites in the oven. Like, so I think it might be surprising for people to hear how much my diet has changed. And that learning to cook is something you learn, you know, just like meditation is a practice. Learning to cook is something you learn. It isn't necessarily something you're just born with. You learn it and you become good at it. And that's something anyone can learn. You know, I didn't know that. I thought cooking was like playing an instrument or having a good voice, you know, something Mm. that you're an artist. I thought it was something that was just inside of you. I didn't know it was something that you could learn and practice. So I think, I think that was really surprising for me. And you know, I imagine most clients, when they think of working with someone, mm-hmm. would think, oh, well, she's probably eaten this way her whole life. And believe me, I have plenty of friends, especially in California, who grew up eating well their whole lives. And I straight up did not. Right. <laughs> like white cheddar Cheez-Its, bagel bites, <laughs> Lucky Charms. Uh-huh. I couldn't get enough root beer in my diet. Like, wow. you know, that's how I lived. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I would eat, I, I never, and still to this day, I don't eat cereal anymore, but I, still today I would not put milk on cereal because it would make it uh-huh. soggy, but I just put loads of sugar on Rice Krispies. And my, my mom, itself? oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. And my mom was always like, did you want some Rice Krispies with your sugar this morning? But she let me eat like that. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't oh, even. <laughs> no, we are one and the same. I remember yeah. as a little girl, we'd sit at the table and everyone would have their boxes of cereal out. And I would take mm. three boxes of cereal and build like a wall around my Cheerios. 
Wow. So that I could dump so much sugar into them without my mom seeing. And I would Smart. put it all in one side of the bowl so that when I would do like a scoop, like I would scrape it up. Oh, yes. Like a layer of it. And you know, like those test taking shields we used to have in elementary school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the two folders propped open. Uh-huh. Like that's what I would do with the cereal boxes to like hide my sugar. And I mean, believe me, in those days, my family did not give a shit. We all ate a ton of sugar. I would like eat frosting out of the tube. Oh, yes, ma'am. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's like I did, sugar wasn't demonized like it is now. And I was never heavy as a kid either. And so those bad behaviors weren't frowned upon in the way they should have been because mm-hmm. of my size. It was something that was like, you know, if I had a weight problem, I'm sure my mom would harp on me for it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. You know, I was actually at my heaviest while I was studying nutrition. Wow, that's interesting. It's insane. I think it was because I was just baffled and overwhelmed and confused to have to transition my way of eating such. So I know when a client is making those changes, how hard it can be and that the weight won't just fall off you as you make these changes. Like you've got to nourish your body first before it can let go of what it doesn't need. Yeah. And everything that you just shared I mean, that really speaks to me about the wounded healer. I think that, you know, we don't have to have the exact same experiences that all our clients have had, but we have to know where that pain comes from. And that's that's what I hear you say when, when you're explaining how you used to eat is, you know, just you didn't even know you were in pain. That's what's so interesting about poor eating habits, right? Until you have a heart attack, you don't know that you've been doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. And with, you know, like with my years of cystic acne, you know, the, the food connections people would say is like, don't eat fried food, don't eat chocolate. It's like, really, you guys, mm-hmm. that is not what did it. Like, for me, it was soy. For me, it was straight up soy. I mean, there were other things that came to it, like mineral deficiencies, mm-hmm. poor gut health, overuse of antibiotics, which they put me on for my acne. Right, of course. It's, it's a very vicious cycle. And never once was I told to eat more produce. Never once was I told to eat organic you know, like, it's just wild how they approach it. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about, you know, all the all the delicious foods that were terrible for you that you would eat growing up, okay. I just want to plug your recipes are so good. Ah, thanks, girl. I mean, my, my husband and I are both obsessed with the pork stir fry. So good. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I I keep using you against him because he'll be like, he'll just say something like, you know, do I really have to have my smoothie today? And I'll just be like, I don't know. Well, Candace says, and he shuts up and just does what I say after that. Like, I'm just waiting for the day that, you know, I come home with a Diet Coke and he'll be like, mm, well, Candace says. says. You know what I would say. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a I few know. things I'm strongly against and... You know, there's a few things that there isn't space for and we have to work Mm -hmm. on getting them out of the diet. And I know that's a gradual thing that takes time. Mm -hmm. But I like that you guys can use me as this bossy frame of reference. Oh, absolutely. My close community will tell you that I am incredibly bossy. Like me and my girlfriends argue. (laughs) Amazing. I am very bossy as well. So it's interesting that we like each other. Probably. Yeah. I like bossy. (laughs) You know, I like. Yeah. I like I want to be one and I want to be around them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I also just want to mention the the Diet Coke commercial that I sent you. Oh my god, it's insane. Right? So if anybody watched the Super I didn't watch the Super Bowl, but apparently it was a Super Bowl commercial, but it was Britta from Community. I can't remember her real name. It's like Bree something or something like that. But so she's like drinking a Diet Coke and she's like Diet Coke. 
because I can. And like the subtext is, fuck you, I'm going to drink this Diet Coke. And I sent it to Candace. <laughs> and your reaction was horrified. Oh, it is straight up praying to our addictions. It's like, I know this is bad for me, but I want it. So I'm going to have it. Like, that's what we do when we're at the grocery store and we buy the garbage we shouldn't eat. That's what we do when you went for the second cookie at that lunch yesterday. Mm -hmm. I know it's bad for me, but I want it. So I'm going to have it because I can. I want it. I deserve Mm -hmm. it. Like, that's not connected eating. Diet Coke, like, we know it's bad for us. They know it's bad for Mm -hmm. us. And they're just flipping that on its head saying like, well, if you want it, you should have it. It's not right. You can't not prioritize people's health like that. It really is preying on our addictions because that's totally the addiction mentality. It's, it's all about craving, right? And I've been reading a book by Pema Chodron. I think it's Comfortable with Uncertainty. I think that's what it's called. And she used the term refraining. And that spoke so well to me because I often feel like I'm depriving myself. Like if I right. if I don't get that Diet Coke or if I don't eat that cookie, then that's deprivation. But if it's refraining, that's an empowering way to think about I am making this choice. Yes. And and a way that my therapist has helped me frame it is thinking about trying to have freedom from cravings and freedom from instead of not getting what I want, you know, and that reframe really helps just, again, like empowerment. That's that's just mm-hmm. the word that comes to mind. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of connecting to your body. And because I do also still crave and want and struggle with deprivation, mm-hmm. you know, like, personally, yes, I would love to lose 10 pounds. Am I willing to give up the foods that I get so much pleasure from to do that? No. Am I yeah. willing to give up an hour of sleep to go to the gym more? <laughs> No, like I know what Mm -hmm. I am and I'm not willing to do. And it's forcing me to find more acceptance with the way that I look and feel in my body. And, you know, I think that's something that we need to remind ourselves of like, okay, if there's changes that we want, we can make them. But like, at what cost? Right. Like, you know, that old saying, like, nothing tastes as good as being thin feels. Are you kidding me? Have you been to Pizza Art Cafe? Have you been to Portillo's? <laughs> Have you been to Giordano's? Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. And so, you know, I still do have these deep connections for mm-hmm. comforting foods. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to let them go. And so when it feels like that all or nothing approach of either I drink Diet Coke or I don't or I'm eating gluten, or I'm not. It's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I try to, you know, with my clients, I do this too. Like if you're omitting something that you really want, add in something that you also want instead. So like Mm -hmm. when I go to Trader Joe's and I don't buy bread and cheese to eat for a (laughs) meal, like I'll buy myself flowers or a plant. Yeah. Like I need to, you know, reward myself for making a good decision that is caring for myself. You know, when I'm grocery shopping and running errands and I'm out and I'm on the road and I'm really hungry, like, and I don't go through a drive through or eat garbage food. Like I have to stop and ask myself like, Hey, like I'm hungry, but if I eat that, I'm not going to feel better. I'm going to feel worse. Like being hungry feels better than feeling like shit. It's simple when you think about it like that. It is. It's simple, but not easy. Totally. Yeah. The logic is very clear. Putting it into practice is a true challenge that you have to practice. Right. And I think, you know, what I what I hear you saying there is is having mindfulness and being able to take that breath and stop and make a choice rather than just reacting. And I think that comes with 
really being connected with our bodies, like you were talking about. Oh, yeah. That's taken years. Now that I'm thinking about it, that's my, it's probably my biggest barrier to implementing the refraining, let's say, that you have encouraged me to do because I just do go back to this. Well, I just fucking want it. I I fucking want that Diet Coke from McDonald's because it's so good. <laughs> Instead of really stopping and thinking about, is this caring for my body? Is this moving me towards my goal or away from it? You know? Well, and Diet Coke will always be there. It's not going off the market anytime soon. Right. So if you decide, hey, I'm taking a little break, mm-hmm. it will be there when, <laughs> yeah. when you really need it if that day comes. Like, it's not going away, unfortunately. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> Much to Candace's chagrin. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, now if they said they were like taking away root beer or something, then I'd be furious because that's the one I lean towards, you know? But yeah, I know how deep these attachments are. Mm hmm. Well, is there anything else we didn't talk about that you think you want to share today? Mm. Well, a very good friend of mine would always say, you're doing the best you can. And Mm. I think like that's just so true when it comes to food. Like, you know, when you're stressed out or overwhelmed, like, I think we need to have some grace with ourselves and we're doing the best we can. And when I work with somebody and we're sharing information and we're talking about, you know, food and the education around it I think sometimes the level of commitment isn't quite there you know there's stages to the change they're willing to make so maybe they're just exploring what information is out there and what changes they could make sometime in the future Mm -hmm. and I think people kind of beat themselves up for not implementing them right away but sometimes you need to just take time to like collect those resources and wrap your head around it and make teeny small changes because that really does lead to big things and You know, I want people to feel patient with themselves and know that if you aren't 100% ready to go all in on healthy eating, like there's still something you can do today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's the best you can do, then that's the best you can do. And like, don't, don't feel bad about it. Feel good about that little thing. Yeah, we are so all or nothing. Right. And it's so detrimental. We need to be so much more patient and gracious with ourselves. Like today's not the day I can make all the changes I want to make, but I can do something. And the thing that has helped me, because as a perfectionist, I used to think like, well, you know, my best is 110% because somehow I have to be better than everybody else. But I can't remember where I saw this exactly, but it, the the phrase was, you're doing the best you can, but your best is always changing. Your best is different if you're, you know, at optimal mental health versus feeling depressed, if you are sick versus healthy. And that's something that I've really tried to tune in to myself about and recognize like, okay, like you are stressed as fuck right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the fact that I keep working out and keep eating as healthy as I do is a motherfucking miracle. So- I try to strike that balance of I'm doing the best I can, but I do have choices every day and I don't have to just, you know, flip the table over and be like, fuck it. I can't I can't do anything right. Well, and stress is so big. You know, I think with a holistic health approach, you know, I think stress is kind of at the the top of the pyramid there. Like if Mm -hmm. we're stressed like that trickles down to everything and our body is resilient as we are. We have not evolved to dismiss stress. We don't know the differences between stress. You know, if that stress is sitting in traffic or if the stress is trying to pay your bills or 
fighting with a loved one or being uncertain of your career. The stress can be anything. And when our stress is high, our digestion turns off. Our inflammation goes up. Inflammation and stress and digestion and gut health, like all these things are the root causes of all diseases. And so if stress is there, some people say it almost doesn't even matter what you're eating because the stress is just going to shut everything else off. Yeah. So yeah, the, the stress is, is a big one that, you know, you meditate, like mm-hmm. you're working really hard to combat that. Like you exercise, you're finding ways to release your stress. But you did post something on Instagram the other day that quote that I love that says perfectionism is the enemy of progress. Yeah. I mean, yes, so true. <laughs> Like it's so applicable to healthy eating, you know, like make a change that you can make today. Like if you aren't willing to give up all these things that you don't want to give up, like have a better breakfast. Yeah. Like just do one thing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. These were really great questions and really fun things to have a conversation about. Good. You're so amazing. There are a couple therapist Facebook groups and every time somebody is asking for a nutritionist, I'm like, Candace, Candace, Candace. So, oh, you're so awesome. I hope you've gotten a million referrals. Probably not a million, but. You're so good to me. <laughs> well, you're so good to clients. You're so good in general. This is the healing aspect. You put it out there and, and you get it back. Yeah, I feel lucky to get to do it for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thanks. Keep doing the good work you're doing, girl. Will do. Thanks so much for listening to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thanks so much to my guest, Candace Howarth. Thank you to Andrea Klunder for editing, Liam O'Donnell for the amazing album art, and to Ben Mueller for the theme music. For more information on Candace and her practice, you can check us out on www.headhearttherapy.com and you'll see the link for Conversations with a Wounded Healer. You can also check out Candace at www.candacehoworth.com. Thanks for tuning in. Take care. Bye-bye.